Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Mechanics. I'm Katie, and with me, as always, is... Hey, everybody, what's going on? It is Jason. I realize nobody else knows like exactly when we're recording, but every time we record in the morning instead of the evening, I want to be like, good morning, riveted, and do like a whole like Robin Williams thing, but it won't really work if it's not morning. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, it doesn't matter. We can still do whatever we want. You say that, but the one time I didn't do what I always do, you're like, what was that? Well, we can't. We got to do the regular intro and then feel free to do whatever you want after that. How about that? (laughs) So then there's no point in doing a different intro. Sure. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. Okay. Welcome back to another episode. Sorry, last week, if you listen like concurrently with when we're releasing episodes, I don't know what like... Was it Apple Podcast? Was it doing something funky? I don't know. Yeah, it had a long delay for some reason, which is weird. It did show up eventually, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. We're going to have to slap them around because they clearly care about what we're doing. <laughs> we're bringing them tens and tens of listens. <laughs> right. So, so many listens. Their bottom line will be affected <laughs> when yep. our listens are behind. I somehow don't think so. I mean, maybe if we were the bottom of the top 80 podcasts, but we're like the top of the bottom, so. Yeah, being the best of the worst, that that only gets you so far. (laughs) That's what I've been trying to tell you. But I'll take it. I like it. I like being the best of the worst. That's that's how I roll. You're so weird. Hope everyone had a good, was it just last week, Valentine's Day? Yeah, that was last week. Yeah, and um, we celebrated our youngest daughter's birthday. I also narrowly avoided a concussion <laughs> during said birthday party. And no, it was not from anyone trying to hit me like a pinata. No, Katie tried to knock herself out with a glass <laughs> dish. Uh, she'd had enough of the party setting up. It didn't have, so. like, it hadn't even started. People were just arriving when I tried, <laughs> when I bashed myself in the head with the dish. And to be fair, like, I didn't pick up the dish and whack myself. I. Yeah, that's true. It fell was, out of the pantry. I was doing head. an ill advised action. Of sliding stuff out of a shelf that I cannot see into because I'm short. And this like cut glass dish fell out of the pantry around to my head. And unbeknownst to me, I started bleeding from the head. And then I bled on my grandmother's white vest. I bled on the ice pack I was using. There was blood everywhere. It was on the ceiling, handprints. You weren't even involved. You just heard that I hit myself in the head. You're like, what happened? I said, I hit myself in the head. Meanwhile, I'm crying in the kitchen because it hurt so bad. Jason afterwards is nowhere to be seen. Because your grandma came in. I was in there hugging you for a minute. Well, I, you didn't get blood on you somehow. You weren't that close to the situation. That's true. I, did, it didn't, I didn't see any blood when I was in there. <laughs> I think, to be fair, I do think you felt bad later when you saw the washcloth covered in blood <laughs> that came from my head. Yeah, I, was, I didn't realize it was yeah that crazy. But everyone knows head wounds bleed like crazy. I'm fine. It was just a small scab, like a little cut. I didn't break the dish even. I didn't have to go to the hospital. Here I am. That that dish is going to win 10 out of 10 times because it is a beast. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty thick. Um, but anyway, um, if I start saying crazy stuff, it's because I've had a brain injury. Now you know. Got it. I'll just edit it out. <laughs> oh, she's talking crazy. It's because of her concussion. Move on. Move on. Uh, so that's when our excitement for the week. I hope everyone else has maybe not done the same things that I have and is you know, not having their brain sloshed around by glass dishes. (laughs) 
Still, despite my injury, I've managed to find some really what I think are super fun Kickstarters. Um, Fan Zero is always sending me um, really cool stuff that he finds on Kickstarter and even a little bit of Game Found, which is a scary place sometimes when you don't know what you're looking for or it the organization boggles my mind. They need an app, all these things. Um, but I just went like completely off script <laughs> and picked some random ones that sounded good to me because that's how I roll. You can blame it on the head wound. It's the head wound. Sorry, Mike. I just can't be helped. Uh, the first one I want to talk about is probably like 50% gimmick, 50% game. But it looks really good. And Jason, most of these, Jason is going to say, these aren't games. These are experiences. I don't care. I don't care. The next one you're going to talk about, I'm totally into. Totally into mm. it. All right. So the first one I'm going to talk about is called Envelescape like an envelope and a landscape put together, a pop-up escape room, or like an envelope and an escape together, maybe. I don't know. pop-up escape room. This thing is really cool. So Envelescape, what is it? It's, a, it's like a 3D little pop-up paper craft room. And it's big. It's not just like one little, it's like a whole, the first one is like this whole foyer. Um, so there's a door and stairs and there's like furniture in there, like lots of stuff in this. And so it then acts as an escape room where you're going through, you're finding clues, you know, opening curtains, looking behind portraits, looking under rugs, all these things that come in this like envelope that has this room that pops up out of it. So, um, you also, there's stuff written right on there. You also, there's links, I think, to digital clues. So you do have to have the internet um, to do it. But it says it functions like a real escape room. So I'm assuming, like, in order to get out, like, of this first chapter one, they call it, which is, oh, it has a name, some kind of foyer. Um, the Whatever the foyer is in this Evermore mansion is the first chapter. Um, and so you, you have to get the combination to get out of the room. And there are several other puzzles within the room that are lead you to these different things. You're opening different envelopes when the game tells you to, as it leads you to different stuff. I, I honestly wish there was more details on it, but I can see why you kind of are holding some back because a lot of it is in solving the puzzles inside the room. Uh, right now they have two... Uh, stories, I guess, that they're going to explore that's planned to two full series. So there's one that follows the Evermore Mansion and one called Creature in the Woods. Um, each of them have three different chapters. So they're kind of split up. So you can say, oh, yeah, we just want to do one or oh, like we're down with this. Let's do three. They actually says, hey, you know, decide what you want based on your budget. Um, but they're really nice Canadians. So I honestly think they've done a great job of pricing these things. If you like escape rooms, if you like puzzles, if you like paper crafts, if you like creepy mansions, I really think you need to take a look at this. I am not doing it justice. You get a blueprint even of the house and the room so you know what things are there a little bit. There's a will involved. Um, there's a letter. There's some an invoice. I there's a lot of cool stuff involved in this. So 
check out Envelescape pop-up escape room. There are six days left for it on Kickstarter as of the drop date tomorrow. If you just want the first chapter of The Mansion, it's 22 bucks. I honestly think that is like a really good price. If you want the whole first game, which is the Evermore Mansion kind of series that has three chapters in it. So I think you're going to do like, like you start in the foyer and you're going to do different rooms in the house. It's $57, which I also think is crazy reasonable. If you're like, dude, I'm all in, which is what I want to be. But I know I never will be because Jason backs the things on Kickstarter. Yeah. And this is really expensive. So, yeah. No, we're talking to both series, both both games, um, the Evermore one and like the Creepy Woods, three chapters each. So this is like six total escape rooms, $106 for six different ones. I feel like that's that's a good deal. It looks awesome. I'd like to at least back like the whole the whole mansion series. I, I know Jason's not going to. It makes me sad to think that because this looks so cool. Um, but maybe I can live vicariously through you guys. So check out Envelescape Pop-Up Escape Room. I do like the pop-up gimmick. That is cool. Like That's interesting and different in an escape room. So at least they're trying something new. I appreciate that. You don't think it looks cool? I, I haven't looked at it. I mean, it sounded all right. I want to actually look at it and see what it looks like. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm not super huge into escape rooms. So it's not as cool to me, I guess. But yeah. It, it, it is fully funded. So they're looking to... People love escape rooms. I'm sure it had no problem funding. But for me, like, I know they have, like, the escape room card stuff. I I kind of like the tangible-ness of an actual escape room or even this where, like, oh, I can open this cupboard. I can look underneath this rug, you know, as opposed to cards that I feel like I can't quite interact with. Like, I, I need to kind of manipulate stuff. So I, I like this take on it. Yeah, that's cool. Okay. So going from one kind of different type of game to one that's not a game at all. But I, man, I really, really was interested in this from the first time I saw it on Kickstarter. And it's probably because I have kids and because I'm a kid at heart. And this is called the Tabletop Find It Book. It's from a company called Old Man Games. This is the first thing they've created. And I think it's so fun. Um... What it does is if you've ever seen the I Spy books growing up, which as a child of a certain age, those were like the hot stuff when I was a kid. And since I love like solving a mystery in some ways or like seeking and finding kinds of things, they really they really spoke to me and I still like them a lot. My kids have some. Um, Our youngest daughter got one called Where's the Wookiee? which is all these like, it's like Where's Waldo, but you have to find, like you find Chewbacca, but they also have you find other things like Han Solo and the Millennium Falcon and they're on these really crowded, interesting pictures. So the Tabletop Find It book does the same thing, only it uses pieces, cards, art from tabletop games. Like I'm looking at one that, oh man, it has like a a donut. I don't know where it's from. This is a problem when I don't recognize. I do recognize um, dinosaurs from Dinosaur Island on this. There's uh, donut cards. There was that donut game that came out not too long ago. Um, Donuts for donuts. Maybe. I think that's what it is. Yeah. There's the like food truck from uh, Santa Monica in there. So like they'll theme it around different things. And just like the old I Spy, they're like arranged really interesting. Maybe it's all the same shape 
or everything's similar colors, or they're all little tiny pieces. There's one that has kind of a Western almost look to it. So there's sand in there, but it's also got like, oh, the Grand Canyon picture from, you know, trekking the world or uh, it's got like poker chips and, you know, Western themed cards and it's cool. There's this one that's like all kinds of in purples and it's got something from Mysterium. It's got uh, like Again, cards from Trekking the World, uh, dinosaurs, like all these kind of things. And so there's like a list of hidden components to find. And what's interesting is they say, yes, it can be for kids. Absolutely. But there are some like more challenging ones that, you know, adults would also need some work on like I I just like that for me I think it's a, a fun way again to interact with your kids and I think that's super important I think that's a great thing that games can do for you and also like it's a, a different way to use the hobby to make it more accessible to be like oh that's a cool piece what game is that from let's play that game let's try it out um, it would be fun just like even like a tabletop like coffee table book um I would love to take this like on a, on car rides for my kids to keep them occupied in the back seat, and you know also interact with us if we're sitting somewhere. It, it might be too big to take along to like a restaurant or something, but it would be a fun thing to pull out and do while you're waiting on your food. Like, I just think it's cool, and not only that, it's affordable. So the tabletop find it book. There's seven days left in that Kickstarter. It's twenty dollars. Wow, that's nice. I like that price. I love Where's Waldo, so uh, this is right in my alley. Yeah, it says it's over 20 images, so you've got more than 20 pages. It looks like it's got a nice, sol- like it's not wussy. It's got kind of a solid, hard back cover on it. 20 bucks, man. This would make a great gift for somebody. Like, I, I just think it looks fun. Maybe I'm wrong. If you want to come at me about it, sure. But check out the Kickstarter, Tabletop Find It book, seven days left, 20 bucks. We should back this, babe. I'm looking at it right now. I am actually, I'm, no, I'm not a kid, and I actually am interested in this. <laughs> I, I think our kids would really like it, both kids even. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. Like, our kids have some, like, Rory, for some reason, wants to read this Dora one all the time. And I'm like, you know all of this, like, seriously. But she wants to sit and, and do it with me, and she really likes that. So I'm like, man, like, and I don't know that you see the I Spy books out and around anymore. I'm sure they have them at the library and stuff, but... I always like those. So tabletop find a book. Yeah. Cool. Um, the last one I have is a legitimate game. Now, I mean, the, you know, Envelescape is a game, but very different from what we traditionally talk about as games on this podcast. This next game is a roll and write, which I am always like, huh? but I have played several and I really like them. So I don't know why I still have this like mental annoyance or like I look down on roll and rights because they can be really fun and they are such an easy way to get non-gamers to playing games. So this one, I thought the theme was cool, but I honestly think it's lacking information, but it's a, a PNP, a print and play. So I'm willing to, to look at it. It's called Wine Management. Um, it's by this guy named Matt Parkinson. Apparently he wrote an RPG. Um but he made this print and play roll and write. And it's about managing, you guessed it, a winery. 
Not just that, but you're also managing the vineyard itself. So you print and play these sheets. When you back it, you get the PDF um, for the player sheets. You provide your own pencil. You need 3D6, but you don't need it per person. Everybody can kind of use it. And it's pretty quick. They say, He says no more than 30 minutes, less if you know what you're doing and how to play. So he said it's it's supposed to limit the amount of ink like you can get two game boards off one like regular eight and a half by 11 sheet he says a four sheet i'm like who talks like that but it's fine uh what you're doing is you're rolling the dice and you're using two out of three values to select an action in a multiplier for each round now there is one kind of picture of the game board so i can only base all my information on that i wish they had shown more but still the actions you can take you can plant vines in your vineyard you can harvest vines to get grapes you can process the grapes to make wine you can complete wine orders you can hire workers to unlock like one-time bonuses you can deliver you can even do tours of your vineyard so it's like viticulture as a rolling right and you get what's I'm looking at it right now and there's a place where you check off like oh here's the vines that I have for red grapes and white grapes like here's the grapes I produce and you mark them off on there. Um, there's like orders and it's like okay do you complete do you get all the order or just part of the order you circle um, the different numbers to complete them. Then there's like a a section like a wine storage rack and so you actually draw circles in there of the wine that you make. So it looks like you're storing them in this rack, which I think is really cute. Like, I think it has so much potential. It sounds really fun. I just wish I could see more of the actual gameplay. But, but I'm willing to take a chance for $5. That's right. So if you're interested in wine or you like rolling rights with fun themes um, and you have access to a good printer, check out wine management. Yeah, ours would be all gray and liney. It's fine. We'll just if, if only we worked in an office, we could print these off. There's nine days left on this Kickstarter, and it's five dollars um, to get the PDF to print it. Like that does sound cool. When you were explaining it, I was like, "This sounds like Viticulture, the Rolling Ride game." And then you said, it. <laughs> "Yeah, it, it sounds pretty neat." Yeah, and so those are the kind of different types of games I found this week on Kickstarter. All right, so let's talk about some games that we played we're actually going to talk about four games today that's right four games what? Yep. we're trying something new today and it's our show we can do what we want that's right um so the first game we're going to talk about is a game that our friend chris brought over it has a cool japanese theme so katie's in instantly it's Absolutely. a re-implement of a game i think it came out in 2015 and this game is called iki iki uh this new reprint i think came out in 2021 i believe and what this game is, is you are taking on the role of, I guess, like a, a businessman, businessman running some stalls and some booze in this market. And you're trying to... I don't know that you run the stalls. You interact with the people that are in the I stalls. guess that's true. You, so you're, you're visiting this market. Um, there's a whole bunch of lore around the market. The first edition, it's based on this painting that was done from a Japanese artist. It's this huge, like 40 foot long painting. Of the market, so this is a. I think I don't know if it's a legit market, but the game was themed around that market. So what you're doing is you're taking this this worker that you have, and you're going to determine how early in the morning you want to wake up in the day, which is going to determine how far you can move and when you get to take your actions. When it's your turn, you're going to have an option of either hiring a new character to set up a booth in one of the 
the four market areas, or you can take four coins, and then you're going to move your big worker that's on the board in a rondelle, so I think it's counterclockwise, and you're going to visit one of the stalls based on however many spaces you can move. So if I go to the three space, I can move three plus one space for every additional sandal token that I get. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get uh, money, I'm trying to get rice, I'm trying to get lumber, and koban, I think, which is like this building material, so I can feed my workers who are working in the stalls. I can have money to hire more people to work in the stalls. I need the Koban to build when I ever get enough stuff to build one of these six buildings that's out on the board. And I'm also trying to collect different sets of these characters. There's five different colors. I'm going to get a pile of points for having one of every color if I can. The stalls are going to do crazy things. I can get a pipe and some tobacco that's going to points. I can get some fish. I can convert sandals to coins, coins to rice. Um pay a coin to be able to build a whole bunch of different stuff. So wake up, take an action, move around the rondelle, and that's a round. You're going to play over 12 months in the year, and then after all that, there's going to be a bonus month where you can take one final action and, you know, try to get some more stuff. There's also some fires that are going to break out occasionally and may burn down some of your stalls, so you also got to have some firefighting power to protect against that. So that sounds like a lot. It's really not as complicated as that explanation made it seem, but it's very fun, very good. And I did a video for it. It's on our YouTube channel. And now I want the first edition copy because it looks amazing. So what did you think of Iki? Well, obviously, with the theme, I was already in. And then after the gameplay, I, I just really liked it. You always want to do more than you can. But your turn, you only do a few things. Um, turn order also is important. And so weighing like how soon you want to go to get a particular action there's ways to mitigate that as well with the sandals, which I think is great. Um, it definitely requires another play. I'm interested to see how it plays at two. Uh, but I, I, yeah, I really liked it. I think that the artwork on this reprint is really beautiful. Um, now the, the original is, is cool. Absolutely. And it reminds me of a lot of games and things that I play with my grandma and the kind of art I'm used to seeing. Um, the new one is gorgeous. Um, the production is nice. I know a lot of people said, oh, I don't feel like the fire really helps, but it's really kind of another track. You could have changed it as a track to like an emperor track where he came and was like, hey, are you not doing enough, a good enough job? Are you not meeting our standards? You know, you need to commit ritual I suicide. mean, it's effectively a turn order track. That's what, it, that's all it is. Mostly. No, the fire. Uh, that's not because it does slap you around at yes, almost like it, it almost has an Italian's yeah, but type of balance. you can never defend against the fire, and that's um, a route you could take if you want to. Like if you just put some buildings out there that are expendable to you, you don't have to fight the fire. But yes, but you don't really like with with such limited actions. Most buildings aren't expendable. Because I did not do anything with the fire track and I clearly lost. I think some of that had to do with it because I did get at least one of my shops burn up. Yeah. Which that might be that it, might be true. I never lost if, any shops. If I had retired yeah, if I had retired it, I would have gotten seven points around. That's true. You're right. Thank you. I know. So the old Everybody heard the it. old art in the the original version is called Ukio E Woodblock art style. Oh, absolutely. Woodblock style. Yeah. yeah, it's great. It looks really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And like the, you go through several seasons and like Japan's like traditional view and like 
the culture around seasons like and and if you play Hanafada, that artwork looks a lot like the cards which depict the different seasons and the months anyway because of all the suits i just think even even if you don't have like a deep love for all things japanese and asian like me the gameplay is really good you have to make um you have to make hard choices balance like having money to do what you need to do it's so tight and you really kind of need to take a path of okay what am i going to do to make points at the end like which of these artisans is really going to work out for me how do i get them retired if the bonuses are more important for like a long lasting and i really didn't do that this time i was just like oh i will play whatever Ooh, i need a book dealer because obviously i do it had nothing to do with my actual strategy for gameplay it might not have been the best um but it definitely leads me to want to play more and there's not a ton of luck really so it is like almost solely strategic gameplay and i think it's super good I liked it a lot. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, the only luck is flipping cards, what order they're going to come out. That's basically it. And which yeah. fire is going to get hit by the, or which stall is going to get hit by the fire. That's kind of lucky too. All right, so the next game we're going to play is actually a new hotness game. And I don't even know if this game is even out yet. What? what? Yeah, so we're going to be those people. Sorry. And this one is called Libertalia Winds of Gale Crest. And this is a reprint from Stonemeyer of a game called Libertalia. And they set it in the air, so they're air pirates instead of water pirates, and they're anthropomorphic animals instead of, you know, actual pirates. And so while this is a reprint, it also changes some of the rules around. And if you don't know what this game is before I go into all that, this is a game where you are trying to collect loot to score points, collect money, and you're trying to do that over three rounds to have the most money. And the way you're doing that is everyone's going to pick a card. Everybody's going to start with the same cards in their hand. Everyone's going to play one face down. When everybody's picked, you're going to flip them. You're going to order them from low number to high number. They're going to have some abilities that activate from low to high. They're going to have some abilities that activate from high to low. And you're going to try to get the best loot tokens to score you the most points. There's also some negatives. There's some actions that are going to get rid of other people's characters on the island. whole bunch of stuff's going on because you're pirates. So it's not going to be easy to get booty or loot. It's just... You're going to try to, you have to fight for it. That's how, what happens. Um, so you have to fight for the booty. It's you true. Do. You do. Booty is not free. There's nothing free about booty. Keep that in mind. <laughs> uh, so um, this is, while it is a reprint to the original, this one also changes the game around kind of significantly. Uh, the first change is the original has 30 cards. The new one has 40 cards. Um, and the rounds are going to be different lengths. In the original, every round is six days. In this new one, every uh, the first round is four. Second round is five. Third round is six. And um, it gets rid of some of the player boards and kind of just cleans up some of the table space. But overall, the game is effectively the same, just with a little bit of tweaks. And you just went on to say, oh, it makes some significant changes. And you're like, oh, it's basically the same. You can't have it both ways. You're still pirates. It's like 10 more cards of the cards you already had. So it's more variety. Like it's not, it's not that big of a difference. Um, I'd say it's barely different. Um, and, and because I really liked the first one, I was prepared to not like this. But what I like about the first one is the gameplay. And that's really the same here. Um, you start with a certain, you all start with the same pirates and then you make choices on which ones you're going to play using their special actions on each turn, simultaneous action selection. That does not change the way that like, okay, you receive um, a sun action from 
lowest value to highest, and then you choose your booty tiles from highest value to lowest. Then there's night actions and then in the round actions. Those are the things that are really good about the original Libertalia, and they're still in this one. I think there's even some really interesting variety with um, these different cards, and you've got these kind of new actions. So if you perchance played a lot of the original Libertalia, you're like, oh, I know what all those people do. This one mixes it up, which I think is cool. Do I prefer the regular pirates to like air pirates with animals? Yes. I just like pirates. But that change is really not that prominent. What I think they did change was moving things kind of from us having you having your player board with some aid type stuff on it to the central board actually having things laid out. And I think in some ways that actually makes it easier. I felt like that made it a little more streamlined. You can see what each of the booty tiles did. You could see how to follow kind of all the different parts of a turn and then the round itself. I, I liked that. Um, I would still, I would play both. Absolutely. Um, I am looking to do my first written review about the comparison of the two, but I'd like to, to be fair, I want to play the old one again. So they're both fresh in my mind. Although it seems like I know them pretty well, but I, I do, I, I do like it. I don't know if you need both in your collection, um, but they're both very good. Yeah. That I don't think you need to have both for any stretch of the, like you don't need to have both of these, but you can't find the first one, so now there's an option to just get the second. Right, so now there's an option to get a, the game that you wanted to play. It's a little different. Ultimately, you're still playing the same game. So, yeah, I if you can only find the second one, totally get the second one. I'm not going to say don't get it at all. But if you can find the first one and you like the, the art of the re- regular pirates, I would say maybe pick that one up. And you might be able to pick that one up when people start getting the new one too, which is cool. Yeah. All in all, like I really am happy with how Stonemaier treated this kind of reprint revisitation. Yeah. Having loved the first yeah, one. Yeah, Stonemaier has top-notch production anyway, so I had no no question that this would look amazing and they would do a good job. All right, so the next game is a game that I've played before. We've done a live play. I did a video with our youngest kid, but now Katie finally got to play it. And Finally, people play games with me. <laughs> and this is a Reiner Knizia game. I don't know if it's necessarily a kid's game, but I've only played it with my kid every time. And it's called Go Go Eskimo. And this is a game where there's six Eskimos on this board. And you are playing cards to move them a certain number of spaces to collect one of three different fish tokens, three different colors, or some clams, which are wild. And at the end of three round, uh, end of each round, you're going to be selling one of the colors of fish for a coin per fish that you have. So you have yellow, pink, and green. At the end of each round, you're going to be selling one of those. And whatever fish you sell in the first, in one round, you have to get rid of your fishing license for that one, and you can no longer sell it. So next rounds, people are going to be going for different fish and all that kind of thing. So it's three rounds trying to get the most fish, sell the fish, to score the most points. So I've talked about this before. So what do you think about Go Go Eskimo? I really liked it. And I would, I'm pretty sure it's a kid's game. It, the production is so adorable. Like the little Eskimos, these little wooden Eskimos, they all have different faces. There's boys and girls. The colors are cute. It's super fun. Um, and surprisingly, I mean, obviously a very simple game, drawing these cards that give you numbers to move on different tracks and you're collecting fish. But it becomes like kind of strategic because once you've completed the first round and you use your fishing permit to sell all the fish in one color, you're really going after two colors that are left. 
And also, you know, your opponents, they might have sold the same fish as you or a different fish. Um, and so then it's like, okay, I want to get my own fish, but I want to stop them from getting a lot of fish too. What's that going to look like? And then you've got like these little oysters with pearls that are wilds. And so everyone can benefit from those. And you're moving the polar bear around. Like that's a strategic thing. Um, where do I want to keep people from moving? What do I want to like say for myself possibly using the polar bear? I, I, I just think for a kid's game, like it can be as simple or really strategic for game players, which I think that's something that we try to look at when we look at kids games, because we don't want to play dumb kids games. Like we don't want to play Monopoly. We don't want to play Operation. Um, we don't want to play Candyland. Now, do we have those games? Yes. Do we play them? Yes. But we try to encourage our kids to play the fun kids games because there are so many really good kids games that are fun for adults. And I absolutely think this one is like Google Eskimo. Apparently, we got a little too into it because we were playing and our daughter who won because she was kind of a dark horse because Jason and I were duking it out because I'm like, she's just playing. She just gets excited when she gets no, she, multiple she's cards. She's really good at this game. <laughs> she is. But she gets excited when she gets like more than one card of the same number and color so she can move really far on one track. Like that gets her excited. So I didn't pay attention to what fish she's collecting. And also she has unfair advantage because she uses um, this like card holder. Oh, yeah. From it hides everything. Red Rising. So she hides all of her fish, which is super sneaky tactic, that kid. So I thought, okay, I'm not going to worry about her. I'm just going to fight Jason. And we ended up losing. To, I ended up losing to her. And at the end, she goes, guys, I wouldn't have picked this game if I knew you were going to fight each other. <laughs> because we were like getting after each other and <laughs> over a children's game about Eskimos and their fish. But it is super, super cute. If you have kids like... This game is not only adorable, but it's actually fun to play instead of playing like Uno for the 5,000th time. So, yeah, I highly recommend this game. It was really fun. Yeah, I mean, there's not a ton of deep strategy, but it is entertaining trying to screw people over and steal the fish they need. It, it's just it's just fun. Yeah. All right. So the last game we're going to talk about is actually going to tie into our feature a little bit, and that'll make more sense when we get into the feature. But this is a biblically themed game called The Acts of the Evangelists. And this is from Bell Tower Games, and it plays, I think, two to five players, and we played it at four. And what mm -hmm. you're doing in this is you're taking on a different theme of Jesus. Uh, there's six different themes of Jesus. Mine was the suffering, or yours was the suffering or something. Mine was... No, mine was Son of God. Oh, yeah. Mine was Jesus, Messiah, King of the Jews, or something like that. And I can't remember what Brandon or, or Lauren had. It doesn't matter. They're basically just a different color of a theme of Jesus. And what you're doing is you have a pawn, a little character, and you're moving around nine different cities on this board that represent cities from the New Testament time. And you are trying to go get different cards, which are known as traditions, which is basically going to be like something that happened in Jesus's life or something like that. And you're also trying to interview witnesses of there's nine different witnesses to verify the card that you took to score points. Now, all that really means is when I take a card, I'm going to put it on this little board in front of me. I'm trying to get 
score those cards in one of four ways chronological so one through 36 that kind of you know they go from one to 36 the cards you need to put them in order of high to low number i'm trying to get different motifs which are little images on the card if i can get four of those in a row i score some points i'm trying to get different witnesses three of the same witness on cards that are next to each other that basically means a little eyeball and a colored disc at the top of the card get some points and then i'm also trying to get motifs in like this weird pattern of the first and the fourth one being the same the second and third one being the same to also score some points so that's why i'm trying to get cards on my player board i'm also trying to get cards that have the same theme as my jesus if i can get those cards i'm going to score extra points at the end of the game if i have more of my theme then everybody else has more of their theme on their board um, this one also has a cool thing. It's an action point game. So I have three actions. I can do one of our three action points to do one of four different actions. There's travel, there's tradition, there's interview, and then there's rearrange my cards. Uh, a weak action, a weak version of that action costs one action point. A strong action is better. It takes two of my action points, but it lets me do more. And everybody also has the ability to follow if they have a little follow token. So if I go to interview someone and you also wanted to interview, you could give me the follow token and you get to do the action that I'm doing, but in a weaker version of it. So you might get some points, but you're going to get less points than me. So that's effectively it. You're going to play, I think in a four player game, it was six rounds. And then whoever has the most points after all that is the winner. Um, I like this game. I think I like maybe liked it more than everybody, but I also played it by myself. So I had a little better grasp of the rules and what's going on. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed it. So what do you think about the acts of the evangelist? Um, I, I think it might have helped me maybe a little bit, maybe not. Um, when I looked at the description of this game in BGG, really you're composing kind of the four gospels. And so you've got like these codex leaves where you're trying to accumulate like what we know about Jesus' life and then also have witnesses that kind of corroborate it. That's like the theme of it, which makes sense to me. I know you don't care about theme. No, I mean, I... Yeah, you're trying to make sure you're telling Jesus a story, but accurately. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, I think they changed it because BGG says like, oh, the game ends with all nine of the witnesses have Correct. died. Yeah, it's different. Which I think, which I think would be cool, but might take too long. Yeah, um, you'd have to change the game. It's actually was a lot harder, like a lot meatier than I thought it would be from the beginning, which I think is good. I think it would benefit from another play because now I. I know the rules better and understand them a little better. I still think that some of the scoring needs smoothed out a little bit. That there needs to be easier ways to balance the scoring and score points. I I just... The way that it scores is convoluted for sure. And I did reach out to the guy and he said that what we did was correct. So... We played it correctly. It just, it feels odd for sure. That's what I told him. I was like, I don't hate it. It just feels odd. Yeah. I think if I I would like to keep playing it, but what I would do is I would house rule how scoring works to make it a little bit smoother. Um, Because I think that it's the ideas there. It's really cool. Like you've got, when you're looking at like the history of Jesus' life and these cards are coming out, you know, trying to keep them chronological order is important, but they all kind of surround different themes about who he is and what he did. So like those symbols, you're also trying to like balance symbology and make those into patterns. Um, You can't move like leaves out of codexes. So that makes it a lot more difficult. Also, like I think, I think there's a lot of potential here. Absolutely. I would just kind of house rule it and smooth some of that, um, that scoring out to make it, an even 
like what's a good starting point to be like a good polish finish game yeah for sure i and again it, it it's not going to kickstarter he's self-releasing it and maybe at a second hmm. edition he'll clean it up a little bit you know he'll have some feedback and say hey people didn't like this so who knows it could be a solid game after the the first edition but right now i like it it's fine but it is a little clunky i agree with that for sure Yeah, so one of the really cool mechanisms of that game that I like, and I it got me thinking that I like that in games, is this idea of a follow mechanism. Now, I don't mean like a follow the leader, like, oh, I take this action and everyone else is also taking some form of the action at the same time. I mean, I'm taking an action and you have to pay something, give up something, have something in order to be able to jump in on that action. So one person's actually taking the action. You're just going to say, hey, I'm along for the ride. I We called it like we called that mechanic um, a follow mechanism. However, if you really look at BGG and follow mechanisms, it's a little bit different. We may come yeah. back to those kinds of games in another podcast. That's almost like a follow the leader, in my opinion, kind of mechanism. And this is just following. So Acts of the Evangelist has that where one person is saying, oh, I'm going to um, look in the city and find, um, like, look through the cards that locate in the city and someone else, and I'm going to take this card. And someone else can say, oh, yeah, I want to follow too. I want that card as well. And here's my token. Or I'm interviewing this particular witness and someone else says, yeah, here's my follow token. I'm going to give that to you so I can also interview that witness. So... We each were able to come up with three games that we have played. Now there are more. Three games that we have played that have that kind of mechanism. All right. So the first one that I wanted to pick is, no surprise, a Vitalis Herda game. Because I think, in my opinion, he does this probably more than anybody. Most of his games have some kind of this following mechanism. And the one I picked is The Gallerist. And the reason I picked this one is the way that the following works in this is you're going to sit down a little assistant at one of the locations that you visit. When someone else sends their meeple to that space to take that action, they bump you out and you also get to take a version of that action. You can either take, like, you can do more when you actually go there, but if someone bumps you out, you get to take the action, but you only get to do one piece of the action. So while it's not necessarily, you know, I give you something, to take the action, it's still, hey, you went to this location, you bumped me out. So while you're doing this action, I'm also going to do a weaker version of this action. So I think it applies here. It's still kind of the same thing. It's just doing it in a different way. So my first one, the gallerist. Yeah, I love the gallerist. And like you have to be able to have those assistants in places in order to be able to use like the follow in an action. Like, Yes, and you're not necessarily paying resources. You can also pay some reputation, I think, or fame or something. Yes, yes. To take a full version of the action as well. So you are kind of giving up something in order to take an action. That's true. Yeah, you're giving up fame. Otherwise, you can just take an executive action. and It's not that great, but it's something you don't have to do on your turn, which is nice. Right. And while we're speaking of Vital Asserta, everyone knows how much we love Uncle Vital. Another of his games also has this mechanism, and that game is Lisboa. Um, like, admittedly, at first, I hated Lisboa. Now I really like it. 
So you are helping kind of rebuild and work in the city of Lisboa, Lisbon in Portugal. Um, there was a big fire. So you're playing like buildings to kind of help rebuild the city. You're shipping items. You're working with, you know, the bureaucracy, I suppose, the different officials. And when you take an action, someone else can follow. They have to pay, right? Yeah, they have a little token, a follow token of each of the three characters. And if they have one, they can spend it back to the bank and then take that action. Because on your turn, you choose to work with one of the different characters that controls kind of the different parts of working in Lisboa. And so if you also are like, hey, oh, you know, I, I've I made like a deal with them. I'm going to cash in this token that I have to work with that official also. It's not my turn. It's separate from my turn. It's on somebody else's turn. But you can jump in and say, yeah, I want to work with that guy too. Or that lady, depending on which version of Lisboa you have. Uh, so I think it's a great kind of example of this idea of following where I'm trying, especially in games like Vitals, you want to do so many more things than you actually can. And so I think being able to really capitalize on these different turns when you can follow is the way to maximize your gameplay. So my first choice is Lisboa. Yeah, I agree. If you couldn't follow in a VTAL game, whew, they'd be even more punishing than they already are. Right. All right. So my next one is actually an Uve game. And this one does exactly what we think this list should do. And it's called Mercator. And this is effectively a pick up and deliver game where you're going to different locations and getting uh, a different colored cube, which is going to be one of two different goods. and You're going to put it on your player board. And then you're trying to deliver those goods to other locations. Now, where the following comes in is when I go to a location, I get to do the action of that location. So I'll get some cubes, do some deliveries, whatever. But you can then pay me or the player who went some time, these little time tokens based on what it says on the board. And then you can also do one of those actions. You can collect cubes or you can complete a mission. I'm pretty sure you can do exactly what um, the main player does. I haven't played it for a minute, but you're either going to get to do the exact action or you're going to get to do a little bit weaker action. But either way, each different, each location is going to cost a certain number of time tokens to follow. You give it to the player, you get to take an action as well. So yeah, there's not a lot. You, you don't have a lot of time to do stuff in this because as actions get taken, time tokens get taken out this board and it's kind of like the timer of the game. So you're trying to do as much as you can to get as many contracts fulfilled, as many cubes as you can to not just do it on your turn or you're never going to get anything done. So just like a, um, a VTAL game, this one, you want to do more. So they let you do more, which I like. So my number two, Mercator from Uve. This game is so good and so hard. So being able to have those time tokens and then use them because... You'll go to a city and like collect what's there, but you can't deliver it because it's never needed in the same stinking place. You never have a contract for the same place. So those things are really key. Like it really helps make you viable in this game. Uh, another game where you have this sort of follow mechanism, although you don't exactly have to pay the person to be part of it usually. Um, it's a new hotness and that game is Merchants of the Dark Road. So in this game, you're traveling around the town. You are collecting uh, people to ride in your caravan. You're also collecting goods and um, uh, contracts, I guess, with the queen. Queen's commissions or something like that. Commissions, yes. Um, in order to be able to then deliver them to other towns, but you have to get there 
via a road. It could be a dark road or a shortcut. So whenever someone is saying, okay, I'm going to actually go travel, I'm going to go deliver goods, you can jump in on that. Now you don't get, then you have to kind of decide, okay, how did the travel, how did the journey go? And there's dice rolling um, as the person who initiates the travel, you get more benefit from it. Um, but it is so difficult to, to like get everything lined up, get your stuff ready to go, as well as take this delivering action because most of the time you can only take one action um, at a space when there's two options. And sometimes you want to do both and it's very difficult to get um, the specialty tokens that allow you to do both or especially dice that I do both. So you are absolutely wanting to jump in on other expeditions, other traveling actions, and and do a follow in order to get more of your stuff delivered to towns. Now, depending on what your like special player power is, you can only deliver to s- towns that are in the same region as the person who's traveling. So that kind of helps in some ways limit the action. Uh, but it is vital to this game, I think. So that's my second choice, Merchants of the Dark Road. Oh, yeah. Yeah, It's if you're not following in this, you're not going to get anything done. <laughs> There's no way. Uh, so, yeah, uh, my third choice is actually going to go along with, this, with the Merchants of the Dark Road. You don't have to pay anything. You don't have to give somebody something. You just get to follow because that's what the game says you can do. And mine is Deep Blue. So this is a game about traveling around the ocean on some boats, getting to like uh, sunken sites to get treasure and artifacts and stuff up onto your boat to score points. Now the following comes in when someone moves their boat to a location and they initiate a dive, say, Hey, I'm going to go here. I'm going to dive for some treasure. If you're within, I think one space away, you can move on to that tile that they're exploring for free. There's no risk for you. Nothing. Uh, All the risk is on the person who's playing um, you're going to go there, you're going to join in the dive, you're going to reap the benefits from every card that you played that represents one of those um, uh, crystals that comes out. So you're not going to get as many points probably as the person who is diving as long as they don't bust, but you still get to get a dive in, get points on someone else's turn, and it can be really annoying when someone does that the whole entire game and never initiates a dive, Katie, uh, but... <laughs> it, uh, it is definitely something you need to do or you're not going to get a lot of points in this game. So my third one, Deep Blue. It's a, vi- a viable strategy. It is. We've seen it in action and it works quite well. <laughs> I have one because I just don't other people's dives. Now you have to be close enough in order to be able to get in as part of their dive. And you also have to have the cards required to really maximize what they're like the treasure they're pulling out. Correct. And I mean, in some ways there is some like, I don't want to say cost to you because you still have to like, if you, you still have to have the oxygen that you need, you know, if there's a shark or like a sea monster, you have to be able to fight it. Like all those kinds of things still apply to you. That's but you true. can jump out at any time. Yeah, that's true. But yes, I, the following and this, like, I didn't really like this game for a long time. And the last time we played, I was like, uh, I'm not going to dive. I'll just follow people. And I won. And it felt so good. Like, it just, because I played to my strengths. I was playing a card game. I was getting an engine going with my cards. And then I was just like, oh, I'll just keep doing that on my turn. And then just dive in other people's turns. So, yeah, it it is a fun part of this game. Not always necessary, but it can super work out for you. For sure. The last game I want to talk about um is 
a game that it took me a while to figure out. And honestly, I don't know if I like this game that much anymore, but I need to revisit it. Uh, and that game is Museum. So in Museum, you're curating kind of your own museum. Um, you're getting artifacts to put in there. You're kind of you're arranging them uh, in different patterns by era and kind of type. Right, yep. And you're trying to make the most of that arrangement to score the most points. In order to do that, you have to collect these different artifacts. So when you're collecting these cards from this tableau or this market kind of that is out there, if someone else has a particular like little ribbon, they're each worth a point, I believe, they can give you a ribbon on your turn to also take a card from the ones that you have turned out that are presented. So not only are they then able to pick up extra cards, but you are getting bonus points for when people use them on your turn. So in some ways, like it's a benefit to you for other people to want the cards that come out on your turn. And this way, if you're a person that's, especially in a game like this, where there's some luck to how the cards are put out, you won't be left out if you're able to utilize those ribbon um, tokens to your advantage. So uh, I think museum is a good example of that one as well. Oh, for sure. Yeah. This is one we were, yeah, we were trying to rack our head for a couple other ones and this one came up and then someone mentioned Trismegistus, which also has kind of the, you know, you can spend an action and follow somebody, but I didn't feel comfortable talking about that one enough because we haven't played it enough, so we left it off the list. But it is a, a viable option. There's some other ones that we played a couple times, but we're not going to talk about it here. Yeah, and some of people, I asked some members of the Riveted, like, I need help finding a third one. Um, they also mentioned Puerto Rico, that that's like the ultimate example of this. However, we have not played that. Even though I know it's a classic, I have not played it. So Right, Roll for the Galaxy, Race for the Galaxy, Ares Expedition. All those kind of do the similar kind of deal, too. Yes. So is this a mechanic you like? Are there games that we clearly missed? Mostly because we couldn't think of them. But I know they exist. I know more exist. So please help us out by telling us on our Facebook page in the hashtag The Riveted Group, on Instagram, on Twitter, uh, on our YouTube pages. Also, we're looking to do more blogs, like written kind of reviews in some ways, or even just kind of written rantings. That's what Jason likes to do. Uh, so check out our website. We actually do have a website. I often forget about that. Yep. www.bgmechanics.com. bgmechanics.com. Yep. Check it out. Look look for that. Um, bgmechanics.com. We may try to do more there. I don't know. Um, let us know what you want to see, what's missing. Since I never want to be on videos, maybe I should write. Now, again, maybe I'm just bad at any kind of contribution to anything except for the podcasts, and that's possible. No, you're not. <laughs> right. I don't, I think that's it. Yeah, that's all I got. Um, yeah, I probably need to get back to work. Don't tell anybody, though. Okay. Well, I've been Katie. And I'm Jason. Keep gaming, everybody. Keep gaming.